Welcome to Transform, a podcast highlighting the people and ideas shaping the future of senior living. I'm Tim Regan for Senior Housing News. On today's episode, I spoke with Jill Vitali Awesome, President and CEO of Christian Living Communities. The Colorado-based organization has 13 communities that it either owns or manages. Christian Living Communities is returning to its nonprofit roots this year. Although the organization still manages some communities through its for-profit management arm, Awesome says its future growth lies in affiliations and potentially third-party management agreements with other nonprofits. We did a three-month deep dive into things. We looked at financial outcomes of third-party management and we looked at culture impact. We really decided that we are a not-for-profit organization. That doesn't mean we aren't good business people, but it's different. But before we get to that interview, I'd like to take a moment to highlight our SHN Architecture and Design Awards. This annual competition recognizes cutting-edge design and excellence in senior living across the U.S. and abroad. Visit Senior Housing News to view this year's winners. And now, here's my interview with Jill Vitale Awesome, President and CEO of Christian Living Communities. Jill Vitale Awesome, thank you so much for joining me on Transform today. So I wanted to start by just checking in on CLC and Compella. So I guess now that we are in a new year, 2022, it's the beginning of February while we're talking Give us an update. So where are you with your occupancy recovery efforts? And I guess just how how are you all doing at this stage in this pandemic? So we actually made some good progress during 2021, right? That sets us up for a, a stronger start to 2022. So our occupancy, we grew occupancy by almost 15% during 2021. So that's amazing. You know, I think with like with most organizations that have life plan communities, our residential living stayed strong throughout. You know, we in our uh, established residential living uh, in life plan communities, uh, our occupancies were between ninety and ninety six percent throughout the whole pandemic, right? Which is pretty pretty amazing. And we're starting to see some growth in skilled nursing. Um, there were some points. Uh, last year, where occupancy and skilled nursing had dropped to, you know, just over 70%. And we've gradually increased and we were at around 85%. And then Omicron, right? Just when you think we're getting somewhere, um, that's, that's impacted it and created a little bit of a dip. And then, you know, we're really seeing um, assisted living increasing steadily. So things are moving. You know, we've had an incredible amount of new leads recently, which is very promising, right? We know that pipeline, you have to have people interested in your communities and then um, transform those into tours and then eventually move in. So we're feeling very optimistic about the future. That's great. So I wrote a story a few years ago about how, this was when I had interviewed former uh, CEO Terry Rogers. And I wrote a story a few years ago about how CLC was exploring a collaboration with Minka, which is the sort of modular small home concept originally from Bill Thomas. So I'm curious. So I think that was in, this was before the pandemic. I think it was in 2019 when we talked about that. So I want to check back in. Are those plans still in motion? Obviously, we had a, a big disruptive pandemic that, you know, caused us all to change our plans. But but if those plans are still kind of what you're thinking about, you know, what, what are you envisioning? What does that look like? 
Well, I still think that it's a very appealing concept. And the, that uh, original, um, those those plans that were in place, I, you know, with a change in CEO, with the pandemic happening, that really, there was a pause put on that. Um, but I'll tell you that we still are looking at that as an opportunity in the future, potentially. We actually are redeveloping a, a campus that we own here in the Denver area. And we looked uh, briefly at, at doing Minka or some other type of small homes on that project, and we weren't able to get the density there. So it, it really is a great uh, concept. And so, but we, you know, we're, fo- we're very focused right now on the redevelopment of this campus and getting ourselves back to a really strong baseline before we would do a new development. But we're definitely looking you know, long-term on the horizon at a lot of different options. One of the sort of opportunities that I see that I've always wondered about for Minka is I remember I, w- I felt sort of inspired after after talking with Terry uh, about the possibilities of what you could do with something like this. And so, you know, I, I guess since then I've, I've, I've been thinking, you know, what, what are some of the opportunities for these so-called big box operators to get deeper into some of these, you know, these different small home concepts? And when I say small home, I don't mean just Minka. I also mean the household models. I also mm. mean, you know, pocket neighborhoods, this kind of stuff. So, so that, 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 that's very interesting. So in light of the challenges that you had making Minka work, do you still think that there's opportunities to do some of this stuff, you know, especially on the campus of a big box community? Or do you think maybe that there's still more, more work that needs to be done before we can make that work? Um, you know, I think that it, it depends on the site. It, it's just the site that we have, we weren't able to make it work in terms of density. But yeah, I think there are there are great opportunities. You know, density is something that, of course, everyone will look at um, to make a project work financially. And then the other thing is that it's not just about having a bunch of these small modular homes um, on a site. It, it's really about how, how do you, because you could end up with a neighborhood like where I live in the suburbs where there's no sense of community, right? And I think the original intent of all this is people have their own privacy in a very well-designed home with the right technology, but it's also a larger community that's designed so that you can have that feeling of small groups along with a larger community to be part of. So it's not just about the homes, it's about the the design of the whole campus, and then it's about the culture, Um, because you really want to create these communities of interdependence, um, where people really are citizens in their community and working together to make things happen, kind of like a co-housing uh, sort of model. So, you know, and then it's also what amenities and services do you need to rethink? If you run a large building with a bunch of apartment homes in it, how do you, how do you create services and amenities and have them be efficient in homes where people are kind of more spread out? So I think it, there's great promise in this, but I think there are still things to be figured out. Yeah, definitely. And there are people doing that too, right? There are organizations that are doing this right now. So that's exciting. Yes, yes. And and you'll read about some of this, I'm sure, <laughs> on Senior Housing News when it happens. So I know that in, in previous interviews with us, you've talked about how it's a goal of yours to kind of rethink what a middle market senior living community is. And I think that that is, that, that is a hot topic right now, given the big opportunity of, of middle income residents in the years ahead. So you know, what, what's your thinking on reaching the middle market? You know, as you rethink this middle market model, how do you rethink it? And then also, you know, I guess, how, how do you think the industry can best make the most of this, of this big sizable opportunity? Well, you know, we already offer middle market um, options at our Claremont Park campus. We have um, very moderate uh, rentals. 
for folks that are part of that campus along with HUD, along with LifePlan, um, which is kind of a, a, a very different concept where you have people of all these different socioeconomic backgrounds living together in, in one campus. And it's, it's really a pretty amazing culture that you get with that. And then we manage a community that's a 55 plus uh, active adult community that is very much middle market. And with our campus redevelopment, we actually, so we are really wanting to focus on the middle market at that community as well. It's very close to one of our upscale communities, our life plan, more expensive communities. So this is another option for people who maybe really want to live in that community, but they can't. And here's what we're learning. So we actually hired senior housing partners, uh, which is part of Presbyterian Homes out of Minneapolis, um, to help us refine our thinking and our design around this. And what what we are working through with them is it's about build. It's how, how you design the building. It's about the building materials that you use so that you, um, you're not overspending on construction, which makes it impossible then to have a middle market option. It's about the amenities. I mean, uh, some of our communities, there are, you know, three, four or five dining venues and, and you can't make that work with staffing and keep your rates low. So there's the staffing component, there's the amenity component, there's the whole construction component. And you're still going to, we'll still end up with an amazing community with an amazing culture. And there's a lot uh, that makes a place, an appealing place to live with what's happening in the community, right? What's happening inside the walls. So when you bring all those things together, I think that's the solution. But, you know, I think overall, we all need to be looking more at efficiencies because I mean, with, with, with especially inflation and, and wage escalation is we don't want to we don't want to continue to shrink the population that we serve, which is a concern that I have that may end up happening is eventually you can only serve very wealthy people as our expenses go up. So we're undertaking a lot of uh, analysis this year on how we can create more efficiencies in our communities and price things that the, the lowest that we can for people. I want to ask you a follow-up about this. It seems like the hardest part of, of the middle market is, is the care component. I mean, like you had said, you know, staffing costs, that's a lot of your budget. And these are, these are things that residents will oftentimes need if they live in the community long enough. Do you have any thoughts about how you can make it work when they end up moving into the higher acuity levels? I mean, that seems like it's, that's when it gets harder to make this middle market math work. I will be honest with you. Yes, absolutely. It does make it much harder. And one of the other things we're doing at that campus redevelopment is we are going to be, so we have a fairly large uh, skilled nursing community at that campus and we're shrinking that down and we're, we're creating households. So we're creating a household model of care for folks. And that is, that is exactly where we're having to do the, the harder work and the deeper dives into what exactly does staffing look like? How do we use technology? How can we use technology to be more efficient with things? So I don't think we have it all figured out yet, but we are definitely working on that. And that's part of this project that we're working on. I definitely want to talk with you about technology here in in a little bit. We were just sort of talking about labor expenses and staffing. So I also wanted to check in on that. So I remember, you know, only a few weeks ago, I was talking with operators and they were saying, you know, staffing is still very, very tough. So I guess, you know, I'm assuming it hasn't changed that much since then. But what pressures are you seeing in staffing right now? And uh, I guess, where, where are you feeling the most pain? Uh, Well, we're feeling pain all around, like most organizations are. But, you know, the wage escalation has been a big challenge for us. And, you know, during 2021, we were having to to hire people and pay hiring bonuses 
that were higher than what our current team members were making. So we did a huge analysis of that wage compression that happened and then what the market is doing. And we're doing um, almost $3 million wage adjustments uh, for 2022, which then, right, makes your, your budgeting a lot more challenging. And we've had to increase resident rates higher than, than normal. And we've got some communities that we uh, own that are Medicaid, mostly Medicaid-assisted living. We're not getting that increase from the state to provide this care. So that's challenging. I would say our biggest uh, pain areas are with direct care. That's, you know, it's a lot harder, as you said, to adjust services in that area. If you're short with the house, if you've got a bunch of housekeepers that are, that are out, well, because COVID too is having an impact, you can adjust time for when somebody does housekeeping, but you can't adjust care. And so that is um, the area that we are challenged with the most, but we do have some really bright spots. One of our communities that had been having challenges, um, you know, is now fully staffed and we celebrate that like we used that we usually celebrate a you know, 100% occupancy. Wow, we're fully staffed. Let's take a moment here and celebrate that. So I think we're doing well. I think our benefits are great. We've got great scholarship programs. We've got really great uh, cultures for people to work in. So I think we're better off than some organizations might be. You know, we have one of our communities in particular that we manage is quite remote in a remote area here in Colorado. And it's also a resort town. Housing is impossible for people to afford. And it's not like you can pull from surrounding towns for staffing. So, you know, those are the things that also are causing challenges is what's happening with inflation, what's happening with housing in the area. So, I, I, again, I think I'm feeling cautiously optimistic. On what you just mentioned, the, the community in the resort town, I hope I'm not putting you on the spot, but have you ever considered things like workforce housing or, or ways to make it easier? Yes, we're actually looking, we've been looking at those options for quite a while and we continue to to uh, evaluate what the options might be because there really isn't affordable housing available there and it's it's really tough. And I think it's the same thing in most of those kinds of tourist areas. You, you end up with those same challenges, unfortunately. Yeah. So as you look into the future, I remember last year there was some hope that the staffing challenges might get a little bit better this year. I think that remains to be seen. But as you look you know, ahead, how long do you see these challenges lasting? I mean, I suppose no one has a crystal ball, but what are you planning for? You know, we're planning for it to continue, but we're hoping that things start to ease up a little bit. You know, I, I'm, I'm hoping that wage escalation starts to level out. Uh, that's a big worry. And, and with inflation as well, um, because everything has gone up so much in cost and then that impacts what we can pay our team members. And it also creates a situation where they might be searching out another career because they can't afford costs anymore because of inflation. So I don't have an answer to that, you know, but I'm, I'm hoping we start to see some stabilization in 2022. Some of the things that we're doing to, again, prepare for the worst, hope for the best, is more creativity in recruiting. So casting a wider net uh, than where we normally would cast that net, um, go to where people are versus waiting for them to come to us. 
Social media has been, we're starting to see some good traction on social media for recruiting and then really telling that story of why work in, why work in senior living. I mean, it's, it's a pretty amazing work opportunity for people, but they don't know. So how do we do those kinds of things? And then the other thing I would say is we have launched a, a focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And that, that to us is, is absolutely critical as we move forward to not only make people create a situation where people want to come work at our communities because they feel like they belong and that they're seen, um, but they, that they want to stay. Yes, yes. Very, very important stuff. So I, w- I want to ask you about something that you've, you've talked about before, and I wanted to ask you if this is something you're still considering or that you've, if you've implemented this anywhere. So you've previously talked about even resident volunteering as part of your staffing solutions, helping to keep staffing costs lower. I suppose the idea there would be you know, having residents do some of the things in their communities, maybe lead activities or something like that. And that that's just an example I made up, so if that's not what you're doing, tell me. But I guess, uh, have you given more thought to that? Are you doing that anywhere? How would that work? Well, you know, we haven't actually implemented and we're still, I think this is, that's a bigger picture kind of evaluation of where do we go with this? Like, could we create a community where it is significantly lower um, rates to live there because we have less staff because residents make that commitment to work there? But I'll tell you, it's happening um, in bits and pieces everywhere. Uh, one of my favorite things and what, what, what the way this really I believe that this can work is when it is tied to meaningful purpose for people, right? So if somebody said, well, Jill, if you want to cook here, and I would say I absolutely don't because I don't like to cook. But, you know, if you said, hey, do you want to do art and gardening and things like that? I'd be all over it. Um, So for example, our, our CFO, his dad lives, his parents live at one of our communities. And this past spring, um, dad did all of the planting on the campus of all the bulbs. I mean, he ordered hundreds of bulbs. I think he ordered them from Holland uh, and planted all of them. Now that is normally something that we would pay an outside contractor to do. He wanted to do it. We paid for the supplies for him to do it. And, and it has brought him such joy and such pride and such, this is my community and I'm part of making it special. Um, there's a resident at one of our communities that during this these staffing challenges, she's she's the host in the dining room every night. And she loves it. It's her identity. It's her way of helping the team members. It's a way of giving back to her community. So we haven't, and we are still looking at how how do you how do you create a structure around something like that? But I'll tell you, it's it's happening everywhere in in communities that that promote and support that having that meaningful purpose. I remember you you were at CLC and Compella and then you had stepped away for about two years to be president and CEO of the Eden Alternative, which was which was very interesting. I, I I'm very fascinated by that organization and, and what they're all about. Another another foundation uh, started by Bill Thomas. So I guess I'm I'm curious. So when you were there, what did you learn? And you know, were you able to bring things back to CLC or or to the wider industry from your time there? Yeah, when you know, when I was there. I, it really sunk in for me what the whole process needs to be to operationalize culture change and that it is hard work, right? To, if you're, if, if you're an organization that wants to um, create a culture of person directed care, if you're an organization that wants to really dig into ageism and ableism and create a real age positive and ability inclusive community, 
what we are drawn to do as human beings, and I think especially when you're in healthcare, is we want check the box, quick solutions. If I do this, then this will happen. And this is messy work and it's hard work. But what I learned from being at the Eden Alternative is that when there is strong leadership commitment to this and you're in it for the long haul, you can accomplish amazing things. And anything that is worth doing is hard. It, you know, so those are some of the things. And then the other kind of interesting thing that I learned is, you know, that organization is in multiple countries around the world. And that is because multiple countries around the world have done the same things we've done in the U.S., right? Creating institutions to take care of people. Um, and, and it's just really interesting how prevalent that is and how careful we all have to be to make sure we don't slide back into that, especially with hopefully coming out of COVID, because that has really dragged a lot of us back into the institutional framework of thinking. Yeah, yeah. So I, I want to check in on another effort that you were all involved in, uh, the Perennial Consortium. This is uh, this is the MA sort of collective uh, consortium of, of a group of operators here. Ally Align, I think, was leading the charge there. So I want to check back in. So I, I think the original plan was to launch that was was last year, I believe, or around there. <laughs> I actually don't remember. I should I should go back and read the story. <laughs> we opened it, our, our our plan started January first of twenty twenty one. Twenty twenty one. Okay, okay. So I was right. Great. So uh, so how is that playing out uh, in your communities? You know, I guess on on the one hand, I could see COVID a challenge to just getting that off the ground. On the other hand, you know, I could see how having something like that in your communities is a great benefit to, you know, offer care and that sort of stuff through MA plans or ISNIPs that residents need and want during COVID. So I guess, yeah, tell me more about how those efforts are going. Sure. So we're now uh, entering our 14th month of the plan. And with with the whole consortium, we have around uh, almost 500 enrollees in the plan. COVID did have an impact uh, because, you know, we, we weren't able to have our Medicare experts who work for the plan out meeting with people directly in the communities, um, which is, you know, it's a, it, this is a relationship-based business that we're all in. And so that, that had some impacts. And then also our team members just being completely focused on COVID mitigation and right, rightly so. So we're making um, good progress, I would say. We continue to increase membership. And here's what's really exciting is our quality um, outcomes are really strong. So we've got really pretty incredible outcomes with with hospital admissions. And and that's so important, not just for the financial health of the plan, but that means people are staying well and staying out of the hospital. So I'm I'm really excited about that. We are we're introducing a provider agreement for, for non-owner operators to be part of the plan. So that would be in Colorado and Ohio. Um, and, and again, what this does is it gives operators, providers a seat at the table. Rather than providing all this good care, reducing medical costs, and then having you know the insurance companies are what, where, what gets the benefit of that. And this is really giving us all um, a seat at the table. Great. Well, we will we will be following those efforts, you know, as as we have in the past. So, thank you for sharing all of that. So, we we talked a little bit about technology. I think this actually even maybe fits into the discussion we were just having. 
uh, you know, we've seen operators using technology in all kinds of new creative ways during the pandemic, you know, from telehealth to ways to connect people, you know, remotely and all of that. So what technology are you using now that we're in 2022? Uh, you know, what, what holds a lot of promise in, in your view? And I also like to ask, you know, is there something that you've tried that maybe hasn't worked as well as you hoped? Right now, one of the things that, that I'm excited about is we are rolling out integrated vitals and weight machines in our assisted living and skilled nursing communities. And what basically what that does, so Tim, if, if you were a resident in our community and I was one of the team members, I would go and do your vital signs, get your weight, and then I'd have to go in and chart it. This automatically sends everything directly to the EMR. And what our team did, they did a study of what this could potentially, how this could potentially impact efficiencies and, and actually quality of time with residents. And what they found is it reduces the average time. It's about 48 hours of saved time per resident per year, which is pretty big. So we're really excited about that. Again, it it's provides the opportunity for people to be more face-to-face with residents and, and use technology to make us more efficient. We are, we've always been very focused on mobile uh, device technology, and we're actually making some switches with that. We want, with the staffing challenges that we have and how important it is to have our team members feel they're valued, it's really important that the equipment that they have and the systems that they have don't frustrate them, right? At the very least, and, and hopefully make them feel like, wow, this, this is, makes my job uh, a lot better. So we're very, very focused on that. We're looking at using, we, we, I think we're going to pilot uh, uh, some robotics in one of our dining rooms. Um, I was actually at a resident meeting yesterday at one of our communities, and we were talking about that. And we said, and our COO said, who's up for this? And some people are like, yeah, let's try. And others are like, no way, I don't want a robot delivering food. But when we explained that if we were to pilot this, if we were to do this, what it does is it, it gives the team members more time on the floor. So they're not running back and forth to the, to the kitchen. So we're really looking at how we use technology, not look for the shiny new penny, right? Because I, I think sometimes we get caught up in that. Oh, that's really cool. Let's do this. But does the technology improve efficiency? Does it, incre- does it improve decision-making? Does it improve quality of life? You know, and if not, then we really should be looking closely at whether we should be doing this. So I'm really excited about that. The other, you know, big focus area for our IT team is cybersecurity. That is getting more and more challenging and the requirements for cybersecurity policy are ever in, uh, policies are ever increasing. So it's kind of that balance, right? That's not the fun stuff, but we, we still need to do it. So we're, we're balancing our focus on, on those items in, in IT. So as far as, you know, things that we've tried um, that haven't worked, I, I think the one struggle we've, ha- we've had is finding the right solution for, for, for data reporting. Uh, so we're still on the lookout for the right solution for that. Yeah. And uh, the robot, is that the, I think it's called Survey. Is that, is that the one? Survey? I don't know which it's one. It's the tabletop one, right? The one where you put the things on and it's kind of glides around the floor with a table I on think top of it. So. And you know, some of our research that's been done is it still, there's still some glitches. I don't know if that's the one we're using or not. We're working with, we work with Morrison dining. So they're, they're working with us on all this, but I know that I know things aren't perfect yet. Right. But we have to work. We're, we're going to try some things and see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I apologize for name dropping. I guess we, we don't know if that's the one you're using, but, <laughs> no, uh, but these are, these are very interesting. <laughs> 
yeah, yeah. But th- this is all very interesting stuff. So I'm glad you shared it. All right. I, I want to talk with you in our little bit of time we have left here about the future. So, you know, again, we're kind of still at the beginning of a new year. So as you look to the horizon, what do you see in 2022 in terms of challenges and opportunities? You know, what it's the old question of what are you most worried about? What are you most excited about? Yeah. So Christian Living Communities will be uh, 50 years old in, in May of this year. So that's something we're all very excited Congratulations. about. Yes, thank you. Um, so, of course, we're we're concerned about about staffing. We're concerned about wage escalation. We're concerned about inflation, and it could be easy sometimes to get bogged down in that, right? Like, oh, and just keep your head down and never look up to the horizon and what's coming. But there's a lot to be excited about. I'm really excited about the Summer and Glen. Uh, that that's the community that we're redeveloping with creating that household model of care that will have a huge impact on quality of life for people. I'm excited about the diversity, equity, and inclusion work because that is, and it goes beyond what you would normally think of because in our communities, it's not just about workforce, right? And so it's how do we, how do we drive more diversity among the resident population? How do we make sure we're digging into ageism and ableism as part of that work as well? So really excited about what that'll bring. And um, one of the the really cool things is we just launched a, a new ad campaign, which I'm personally really excited about because it really pushes back against the way we usually talk about senior living, which is here's all the things we'll do for you if you come here, put your feet up and have a life of leisure. And our our internal team came up with this and they're calling it the I'll bring it campaign. And it really focuses on what will you what gifts, what passions will you bring to this community to make it stronger and better? And what excites me about that is hopefully it's going to inspire some people, right? That's why we do ad campaigns to want to live in our communities. But also seeing a different view of aging starts to create ripple effects in people's minds. Like, oh, I could bring something to this community. Oh, I can still grow and learn. Oh, you know, and so I'm I'm very excited a- about that as well. So We've got a lot coming that I'm, I'm very uh, excited about. The other thing is, is how we're thinking about growth in the future. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if you were going to ask me that. Would be- I was, but if you wanted to talk about it, now's a great sure. time. <laughs> sure. So our organization um, has had really um, amazing growth, and we've done a lot of third-party management over the years. Um, and we work with for-profit and nonprofit organizations. And as we move forward, we are recommitting to our nonprofit roots. So we actually um, have, as of February 1st, we have less communities than we did in the past. Um, we are, really took a hard look at third-party management, and we've uh, made some changes with some partners. The, we still do have some for-profits that we manage, and we remain fully committed to them. But our future growth is all about affiliations with other nonprofits and uh, potentially third-party management with not-for-profit organizations. So I'm, I'm, again, very excited about recommitting to who the organization is, as we, especially as we move into this uh, 50th year. Yeah. I, so again, I don't want to put you on the spot. This is the last question I'd have for you, but I'm curious, why uh, make that pivot? What did you see that made that the right move? You know, we we really looked at a lot of things and and, and did a full. We did a three month deep dive into things. Um, we looked at financial uh, outcomes of of third party management, and we looked at culture impact. And we 
really decided that we are a not-for-profit organization. That doesn't mean we aren't good business people, but it's different. There are great for-profits out there and our partners are great for-profits, um, but we're different and, and that's okay. And so we just believe that this is where we need to go in the future to thrive, just being who we are we, and, and, and moving forward in that direction. Jill Vitale, awesome. Thank you for coming on Transform. I really enjoyed our conversation today. I feel like we, we talked about a lot. So um, this was this was very, very interesting. Thank you for coming on. Thank you so much. That does it for this episode of Transform. I would again like to mention our SHN Architecture and Design Awards. Be sure to visit Senior Housing News to view this year's winners. I'm Tim Regan for Senior Housing News. Thanks for listening. <laughs>